Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley and I'm here with Tyler Lambert. How Hello. are you, Tyler? She's I'm making weird. faces at me. I am not. <laughs> I would never do such a thing. So on the agenda today, it is budget week. So we've got a a few little previews of what we can expect from the budget. Um, Also, Tyler will be sharing what she found out about our Assistant Minister for Women, Amanda Stoker. Mm. A few really awesome wins for women in business and a little bit more later on. Thank you for listening. Okay, Tala, so we like to start with wins. Wins for oh, wins. women. We're starting with wins. Wins. We're going straight in. I like to start on the positive. There's quite a lot of positive things to come out in this episode today because I will find some good things in the budget. Really? I promise you, having written just You've many got pieces, being uh, really <laughs> dismayed by what has been released in the last few years... No, to be fair. We've got something going on in this year's budget. It is being called the women's budget. They are tinkering around the edges. Mm. That is a win. Yeah, the women's budget is probably a little bit. It's really stretchy. It's definitely a bit of a stretch. But um, it is a start for sure. But look, let's start with wins. And my win this week comes from tech startup Carded, um, which is actually co-founded by um, Holly Cardew um, and also Mike Angle, and they have just secured $13 million in seed funding and they're looking to revolutionise e-commerce by creating a universal commerce API that will allow developers and content creators to build a checkout anywhere. I'm not sure what that actually means, but I think it's pretty cool that, um, you know, there are just so many young women in tech that are really... Yeah, getting these huge, the way and creating huge, huge investments momentum. as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. And Australian tech founders as well, which, you know... We always hear about women in the US creating quite a lot of inroads here, but it's amazing. And only a couple of weeks ago, we heard about that huge investment into Canva, Melanie Perkins's Canva as well. So Mm -hmm. um, we really do know that there is just a big kind of movement here and women are at the forefront of the tech industry in Australia, which is exciting. So Mm -hmm. that's my win for the week. In some parts are at the... Yes, yeah, look, there is... <laughs> They're still receiving just a, a tiny portion of investment. Yes. Um, and yeah. should be... And they're still sorely underrepresented as well. So um, there's a lot of work to be done, but I think the talent is incredible. And, yeah. um, and, and, and it seems like at, on that really big end of these big tech companies that are being founded in Australia and developed in Australia, we are seeing quite a few women female co-founders involved which is so good to see because they're going to be building the the, you know the mega companies of the future and so if we can have that from the outset we know that that should hopefully facilitate trying to get some kind of gender Mm. diversity in as they start to hire staff and that they're thinking things differently it's not just all the tech bro crowd Yeah, yeah totally and I think it's a real win for young people as well like as I said these are often young women at the the kind of core of the and we need to see more of that that leadership yeah yeah I'll add to that quickly before I go on to a different type of win Um, that is that uh, a group of and uh, tech companies in Australia have been raising money for for India 
So in support of Medical Oxygen for All, which is an organisation coordinating the distribution of medical supplies in India. So Canva is involved in that. Thank you, Melanie Perkins, yeah. again. Uh, Safety Culture is involved. Air Tasker is involved. Um, I know that they've all together so far raised uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. That was in the first 24 hours. So mm. they would have raised more since then as well. Showing a lot more leadership than our government is right now. So that's... Great to see, yes. Very nice to yes, see. Yes, that's a, a different type of response to the COVID crisis in mm. India than uh, what we've had from the Morrison government, which is a topic for another conversation, which has yes, been... Yes, it might take us into a space of deep despair. So well, yes, exactly. And yeah. we have got a couple of pieces on women's agenda about that. And I do suggest people go through and have a look at that, particularly yeah. regarding... I mean, I spoke on ABC News actually on the weekend and that was one of the topics that we focused on. But I just think that it's it's crazy that the government is now kind of... Uh, they're kind of doubling down on what their decision was, even though that backlash has been so severe and they know that they need to repatriate those, those mm-hmm. flights and those um, citizens, but they are doing everything that they can to make sure that people like think that their their decision was legitimate from the outset mm. and and from this the decision you mean yeah sorry yeah so the the india ban that that obviously came into effect and um with the the prime minister and the health minister announcing that um anyone any citizen trying to come back to australia from india um, would face huge fines or potentially jail sentences so you know there was huge backlash after that um people really questioned why that you know, why such a decision never came into effect when we were talking about countries like the UK and the US who were also experiencing major outbreaks in COVID. But also, you know, a lot of um, Indian Australian citizens, including myself, have felt ostracised and and definitely felt the the hostility from such a policy. Um, So the government recognises what the issues are. Obviously, we've still got hundreds of people stranded in in India, um, including a lot of children, um, but they are... Um, protocols in place to bring those people back I think by the 15th um, mm. or, or there's they're, they're, they're not extending that um, that, that policy yeah. mm. um, from the 15th but I just if you know that it's wrong just stop it now it's yeah. it's like they have to prove a point with it um, yeah, exactly. which I don't understand yeah, it is it is totally wrong and it was is um, an opportunity to I think prove some kind of empathy and say hey we really stuffed up here we can make a difference we can we can say that this was the wrong policy this was the wrong call yeah. and maybe have some reflection on what led them to make that horrendous call in the first place but it is an opportunity that they could have stepped back from but no they've got to no, but too they've often got to see, we see Scott Morrison's stubbornness kind mm-hmm. of come in it obstructs everything else and we just don't need that from leaders. People make errors of judgment and that's fine, but you have to be a leader enough to acknowledge when mm. you've made that mistake and actually backtrack from it and apologise for it. We need to see a little bit more of that. We do, we do. I- anyway, that was my <laughs> my first rant for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Expect more, but that was an important rant to be had, so I'm glad that you shared it. Um, I guess I'll move on to my win. Very different situation. Still involves a non-apology from the Prime Minister, so there is a segue into it. But this time it involves Christine Holgate. Yeah, Christine Holgate is still waiting for an apology from Scott Morrison after he humiliated her on the floor of Parliament and effectively fired her from the role of CEO 
at Australia Post and he did so very publicly. He never picked up the phone and talked to her. He never had a conversation. So he did that very, very fast. And as we have written uh, many a times on Wimsa Genevo, Tala and myself, it came uh, quite swift in comparison to things that have been occurring regarding um, what you might call actual forms of corruption within mm-hmm. his own government. So... That's another side of it. But um, this win is that Christine Holgate has got a new CEO role. So she has been appointed CEO of Global Express. So it's not just a win for Christine Holgate or the organisation that she'll lead or it's not only a win for the thousands of people across Australia and New Zealand who work for Global Express because she has proven herself to be a good leader. But I feel like it's a win for showing those you know, who run these organisations, what happens... Who's boss? Yeah, there's that. But what (laughs) happens when you bully and humiliate a woman or anyone out of their role, that they can take their talents, that their talents will be picked up elsewhere, in Mm. many cases will be swept up very quickly elsewhere, and that they may just end up working for one of your competitors because that is the deal here. Global Express is a delivery service provider, so effectively in competition with Australia Post. Christine Holgate will soon be leading the organisation in Australia and New Zealand. It's such a good mic drop moment from her. Um, It is. And they should be shaking. I would be shaking if she's got... um, She's pretty good. She's got something to... Settle there and she will. Well, well, in saying that, I mean, she did appear on the Today Show today and um, Channel 9's The Today Show and she was so humble and dignified and showed such class and Mm. grace in talking about that appointment and she made the point that you know she she loves australia post that she noted all you know the hundred and thousand or so families or so that are involved in australia post that she wants the absolute best for them and she made the point of saying that you know what happened with her just involves a small handful of individuals and she's currently in the mediation process and she's hoping that will come through, Mm. that will get sorted and then they can work on healing. But, yeah. Yeah, no, she was Mm. pretty open about um, being able to collaborate with them effectively and, and yeah, no, I think she was absolutely incredibly dignified in that that response but she's also a a really impressive leader and I think that she will do amazing things um, within this new role and and um and it's australia post's loss i guess it is totally their loss so yeah well done christine holgate okay so now on to you know something that we want to go into a little bit more depth with and a lot may change between how, when we are recording this and uh, be listening to this because we are recording this on Monday before we know the full details of the budget that will be handed down from Josh Frydenberg tomorrow night, on Tuesday night. A few things we do know that there's been a lot of media splashes and uh, media releases regarding some certain things out of this budget that will go to women. So... There's been reports that this is the women's budget, which, like Tala <laughs> says, may be a little bit of a stretch. Um, we have seen some of those funding announcements, one that women's safety is getting a little something in this budget, not a lot, not a huge amount, not close to the $1 billion a year that domestic violence support and prevention groups are calling for, but it is getting something, so it's getting... Uh, twice of what it was receiving previously so the women's safety budget is doubling to 227 million a year for the next three years 
a few other things. There's the 354 million in new money for women's health programs, mm. including funding for uh, cervical cancer, breast cancer screenings, mental health, eating disorder programs, genetic screening of embryos. There's also the 1.7 billion announced for childcare uh, about 10 days ago, not due to start until July 2022, mm. but there have been some suggestions that it could be brought forward. So this is quite different to the budget that was handed down in October last year. And I went through my notes and a couple of things that I wrote that time last year when Josh Frydenberg, he delivered this very kind of solemn speech talking about how women have been impacted by (laughs) the pandemic and had borne the brunt of the job losses and had taken on this domestic and caring responsibility. You should have got a Logie for that. It was, oh yeah, (laughs) there there was a lot in it. And then he dropped the figure that they would be spending... $240 million on this to do everything from, it was like women's safety, it was entrepreneurialism, it was cadet it was jobs creation, like $240 million. And I saw there was, you know, people did analysis around this of the 6 million working women in Australia and found that that accounted to about $40 per woman. So it was never going to achieve anything, hasn't really achieved much. So this is certainly a step up from... October last year. What do you make of it, Tyler? I think that there are some relatively promising signs, like the childcare policy that's been announced or the tinkering with that. I think it's a good step, but I also think that it goes about a fraction of the way into what we actually need there. So that $1.7 billion that they have spouted, I'm not really sure where that $1.7 billion is actually being spent. They have obviously said that they'll alleviate that subsidy cap that's in place mm-hmm. um, for all families and to um, increase the, the subsidy for families with kid, two kids under the age of five in childcare. Mm. So that's cool. Um, but yeah. I think To try and encourage more people to work that fourth or fifth day as well where we see a lot of people pulling back from because yeah. they, they lose the subsidy at that point and yeah. obviously if you're pulling back from working that fourth or fifth day, you might be pulling back from other not just um, earning opportunities, but other things that may come from mm. being able to work those days. So mm. that's something. But as we spoke about, you know, I've, I've had two kids go through childcare and I still have one remaining in childcare. Tyler has one kid in childcare. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't help if you've got one No, kid. not at all. Not at all. And there's also that issue that it isn't starting until July 2022. And yeah. it's also the issue that we do see these funding injections every few years. And what happens is that... It, as, as the whole system, the way it's set up, that childcare just gets more expensive. So we'll be in this yeah. situation in another few years where it will be impossible it to afford again. It does nothing to shift that. And that's a really critical part of this. I think, you know, the government is really good at making these announcements, but we do need to see more from them. The modelling has been done um, around universal childcare. So we know that if we're investing about $12 billion into childcare, then um, GDP could be boosted by about $24 billion. But is the government ambitious or brave enough to do that? Um, And maybe it even is around their ideology. It does that align with their ideological pursuits. Um, I'm not quite sure, but I think it's something that really needs... If they were being serious in this budget for women, I think that's a huge one. We know that it's going to... Would radically um, improve the lives of of so many um, but yeah around domestic violence funding it just seems a no-brainer to me commit the funding that is required there you know yes you've you've 
you've said you're going to increase that that that's good it's better than leaving it um, which has been done in past years but you know we've got one one woman a week who is dying at the hands of her former or current partner in Australia you cannot let this crisis spiral any more than it is doing and I think women's safety New South Wales reported a 35% surge in women seeking help throughout the pandemic that is a stat that is not changing yet um so they're un, like these services are just so overburdened um and they're desperately in need of that that support this funding will go a little bit of the way there but it's certainly not what is required and just for once i would love to see the government instead of making these grandiose announcements that are just smoke and mirrors actually go out on a limb and commit the funding that is required um and just be be kind of ambitious and and understand the issue at hand. If you're listening to women as you keep promising that you are, um, that is what is required. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Maybe we'll be surprised tomorrow night. Maybe yeah, potentially. A whole lot more, and I stand to be corrected and I'm sorry for my cynicism, but I have <laughs> watched many budgets over the years um, and I think I'm still scarred from the last one. So I really do hope, I really do hope that... Um, Morrison and Frydenberg and the rest of of the coalition have been listening and they do know what is going on and what needs to be done. Um, but time will tell. Got yes, about exactly. Hours. Exactly. And we'll come back and talk about it again. I'm guessing that most of what is occurring in this women's budget has already been announced. I think there might be a few little surprises, but I feel, <laughs> I sense that it's kind of, you know, we, we had the, the childcare package drop a week ago. We had uh, uh, what we've, the, this additional funding around domestic violence come out, women's safety rather, come out mm. over the weekend. Um, well, they've said they won't address paid parental leave, for instance. So yeah. we know nothing's being done there. At yeah. the moment, that is just a policy that is out, like just so backward, it's not even funny. Like mm. to, to offer women well to offer primary carers 18 weeks of minimum leave and secondary carers two weeks of minimum leave mm. is just it's just a way to cement all the gender roles uh, <laughs> in their place and like that mm. that whole framework is so wrong for so many reasons not only is that that leave entitlement so insufficient for what you know mm. what families actually require but yeah as you say like you know reinforcing that those gender stereotypes and um, that structure of primary and secondary carer, which is just archaic. It doesn't sit with mm. normal modern family ideals anymore. Um, and it it in, like it prohibits women from kind of re-entering the workforce at the time that they want to. It prohibits men from being able to take that time out to be with their new baby. It is just wrong in so many ways and it wouldn't be ridiculously costly to improve that so I would have loved to see that as one of the big policies uh, in the budget but they have pretty much already signaled that that won't be looked at. Yeah I believe the comment from Anne Rushton earlier this year that Christina uh, Zuika has written about on Women's Agenda last week for us was that Doing so would put a break on the economy mm. if we were to look at paid parental leave equality, meaning that you know, primary and secondary carers get a similar amount of uh, paid parental leave or at least there's a system in place, a use it or lose it uh, situation where if the secondary partner does not take part of that, then, then you don't get it at all. So suggesting that it put a break on the economy, I mean, I that line, I just... 
<laughs> but it's just it's so just wrong anyway. The modelling again, yeah, the modelling that's been done for childcare has been done for paid parental leave as well. We do know that if we're going to be, mm. if we invest in that in a proper way, in a meaningful way, then the economic benefits are mm. there. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, just... And it's not only econ- the, a, the family benefits as well, argument. benefits for children yeah. as well. Okay, well, we'll wait and see. One <laughs> thing I always like to compare budget announcements to is because you hear these, you know, millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, a billion dollar figure. It sounds like a lot and you think, wow, we're going to save all this. This is going to be great, you know. And it can be easy to get swept up in the the numbers. It's always important to look at what is being outlined as new money, first of all, rather than what's kind of been like kind of adjusted and put out there again that was actually announced Mm. last year or two years ago. (laughs) Just a bit of re-gifting. Re-gifting, yeah. So just to look for all that. And then to also think about the school chaplaincy program. And I always look at this every year. So from memory in 2018, it was around $240 million that was given for school chaplaincy program over four years. Same as what, the, the same Honestly. as what women's workforce participation received in October last year. Sorry, women's workforce participation and safety and entrepreneurialism and jobs career and all this other stuff that was going that just kind of fell under women and was given $240 million. It was $240 million over four years given to the school chaplaincy program. Good to see that the priorities are straight. And also think about that roads get that level of funding. You know, yeah. like, like just to – these figures can look big but they can often then be pretty meaningless when it comes to the scale of the problem or the challenge that they're aiming to solve. Yeah. And actually, look, just on that school chaplaincy program, it's a good segue into – perhaps our next topic, yes, um, which is a story I've written today about our Assistant Minister for Women, Amanda Stoker. Yeah. Who, interesting uh, choice. <laughs> very interesting choice given her very controversial views on um, transgender rights, on abortion rights. So anyway, she has, it's, it's been reported that she will be headline speaking at a pro-life rally on Saturday. So I'm sure her focus of attention is is tied up in that at the moment. Um, but I've just written a piece this morning because I do feel like there is a bit of an issue with members of our government being very religious and what that means for their pursuit of policy and their, their leadership. We had Scott Morrison a couple of weeks ago come out and say that he had, well, he told his church that he, or a church in in the congregation in the Gold Coast, that he had been sent by God to do the work of God for Australians. Mm -hmm. He has not been sent by God. He was elected by Australians to do the work Mm. for Australians. But it was a miracle that he was elected, remember? An absolute miracle. And And he believes in miracles. I I personally thank God every day for Scott Morrison. But... (laughs) It was a miracle, so it is very much possible that he believes that he... Well, well he did I mean, see, he said he so. did see yeah. an eagle appear before him who had, so, you know, sent him this very profound message. But I do think that there's a worry here. And if you go on Amanda Stoker's website, it's very steeped in that religious indoctrination as well. You know, she says that basically, you know, she says that her religious freedom, like freedom of religion has been jeopardised in this country for too long, um, that we need to do everything that we can to fight against it. Um, and all of her views and policies, or I guess her, her um, influence on policies, is sits in that space and in, it comes from, from that belief system. And I think in a, 
country that's secular like Australia, it's really concerning when we have leaders who have very profound power to shift the way society operates, operating from that belief system. And obviously we know that Scott Morrison does it to a degree and I believe that that this is the same for Amanda Stoker and I would question how in the world she could possibly advocate for the rights of all women in this country and champion equality when that's where she's coming from. Mm. Because we know that a lot of the Bible's teachings are in complete contradiction of that. So it's a real problem for Mm. me. Or when she's making it clear that she can't put that aside from her job yeah. which she is making it clear by appearing in this rally that that's the uh, it, it's it's fine to be religious that's Absolutely. fine it's but if you make it clear that you are not separating that from your work on your job and amanda stoker is making that very clear by participating in this and standing next to matt um, canavan standing next to george christensen pushing and promoting a private member's bill to roll back abortion laws like yep. abortion laws that women have fought for for so long to, to stand there and to to seek to roll those back then it's clear that you are not separating that from your job. Yeah. And you should. And, we and I just don't feel like that kind of evangelical religion and faith should have influence in our, our politics. Like the reason that our democracy is robust is because we are a secular country. That is what Australia's whole system of government has been built around. So... I I do think it's a really big problem that we need to address in this country. We can't just keep skirting over it. Like, it's it's causing issues. It Mm. will continue to cause issues. Mm, Absolutely. So, Amanda Stoker has been pushed down on the Liberal National Party Senate ticket in Mm. Queensland. Mm -hmm. So, possibly because of some of these views, or Mm -hmm. at least that's what some commentary is suggesting. So, I guess that shows that there is some moves afoot in terms of saying well this isn't acceptable but then at the same time that whole don't accept the role of being assistant minister for women no. that that say no to that if you can't separate it say no to that yeah. position yeah. because it is just it just shows it just makes a mockery of all of that that comes together that whole like bringing this group of women that they're going to change it that they're listening to women and then Appointing Amanda Stoker to be Assistant Minister for Women is just an yeah. absolute joke. Espe- and she especially no at the it. time and the crisis point that we're in, you know, more than ever we need leaders to be bold, we need them to be ambitious, we need them to be open-minded. And if you cannot be that, then you need to kindly step aside. Mm-hmm. Good point to end on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I really got the rage today. I'm sorry. Look at that half-eaten sushi roll. <laughs> it looks so sad. Can't even finish my lunch. I'm, the rage is too too much for me. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. And we look forward to seeing more in tomorrow night's budget and potentially even being back here in another 48 hours or so. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast uh, produced by Agenda Media. A reminder that you can find some shape and form of all the stories that we've discussed on our website where you can also subscribe to our lunchtime daily update. And you can go and check out our second podcast, The Leadership Lessons, hosted by Kate Mills, sharing conversations with female leaders on how to lead for the critical decade ahead. Thank you for listening.